it'll have an aspect of positive. So it'll be, you know, convex in one area. It'll be concave in one area. It might have a curve in another, and it might be very angular in another area. So I'm looking for shapes that do a lot of different things. Um, So when they get put together and then they react to a space, they're activating that space as well. So they're able to um, make that space a positive area. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 149th episode, Megan Cathal Bursett joins me to talk about her exhibition entitled Tug. It's currently on view at McHenry County College up in Crystal Lake, Illinois, north of Chicago, and it runs through October 1st. So please go ahead and check out the exhibition, and you can check out her work at MeganCathalBursett.com. In case you're new to Studio Break and wondering, we are a podcast and blog site. We feature a variety of different artists. They come on, they share their work, they have these lengthy discussions with me about it, and they are free to all on Studio Break. Again, you can access any of the old interviews through the archive feature right in the left sidebar. Scroll and go month by month. Check out all the podcasts there. You can also link to the iTunes store and subscribe and see some of the episodes that way. So we encourage you to check that out. Of course, if you are in the social media sphere, you can like our Facebook page and get updates, on new podcasts, as well as exhibition opportunities, things like that. You can follow our Tumblr account, that's studio-break.tumblr, so please hit us up there. And lastly, you can tweet us, send us cool stuff at Studio Break on Twitter, so please say hello and please uh, reach out in those uh, social media sphere. Without further ado, here is our interview with Megan. Stay tuned. All right, welcome to Studio Break. Megan Cathal Bursett, how are you? Very good, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course, of course. Again, you currently have this exhibition up at McHenry County College, is that right? Yeah, McHenry County College up in um, northwest suburb of Chicago called Crystal Lake. Awesome. Look forward to delving into uh, your studio, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I'm so glad this worked out. Were you always uh, interested in being an artist? Is that something that you explored a lot as a kid i was talking about being in camp making uh, friendship bracelets today with my students but where, <laughs> where did your where did your uh, path start i guess well i definitely made friendship bracelets at camp <laughs> <laughs> so i can identify with that um you know i i didn't really know what it, i don't think i knew what an artist was when i was young so i didn't really identify it in, in that way but i was always a maker um i was i drew as a very young girl i always had a sketchbook Um, I cherished this sort of set of watercolor pencils and chalk pastels that my parents gave me. I got an art desk when I was 12, and I still use it. It's in my studio today. Um, It's sort of warped and not as, you know, it's very well used. Mm -hmm. But um, so I was always drawing. I had a friend who, um, she was my best friend since first grade, and all we ever did together was make stuff. So we would... Uh, we would make, we would each make drawings and then we would actually like critique them. We would tell each other what we thought of them, <laughs> but we would also make things uh, collaboratively. For example, this um, big, let's say by three foot by three foot square house. 
uh, out of cardboard and paint and all kinds of, you know, found objects and mixed media. Um, and we were very into extreme detail. So this house had, you know, a sitting room, a computer room. Remember, I think we had a Commodore 64 at the time. So it had a disk drive with a disk in it. It had, you know, the bathroom had toilet paper, a toilet paper roll with toilet paper on it. So um, we're very into getting into the nitty gritty of things. But that's what we did together. So my parents were makers. Um, my mom um, was always doing something, making something for the home or do, making crafts or making things for other people. Um, and so she always involved us in that. My dad is a woodworker. He's a fly fisherman and he ties his own flies. He's just generally very handy. So we're very hands-on family. So I guess that was my first way into art um, is through making things. And I guess I'm curious too, like in terms of, you know, aside from these, uh, these collaborative house building projects, um, were you, what kind of things were you drawing in particular? Was it anything in, in particular? Um, I realize uh, I just say particular a lot here, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think back now in my hazy memory and, um, I don't know. I, I think I did some, um, I think I remember doing some things from observation, like trying to draw things that I saw. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was anything too ridiculous. I think sometimes I did like architectural plans. Um, sometimes I did scenery or landscapes. I think that's probably um, what I did most. And maybe that's maybe I can see where the where my work has progressed from that. You know, way back in the mm-hmm. day. But I don't know um, if there was anything that particular um, that I can recall actually. Well, it's just so interesting because so many different artists will come out so many different ways right or come up you know whatever however you want to phrase that so mm-hmm. um was it something where you kind of ever like started taking formal classes at a young age were you kind of like active like after you kind of got a little older kind of pursuing it or was it something where you got drawn in um well i think it's something that i had always done on my own but then um you know i had art classes in in elementary school and things it's funny um i remember getting not so great grades in art and it being based on me being really slow. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, my teacher would say, you know, Megan makes great work, but she never finishes it because she works too slow. (laughs) So I I recall, so, you know, through, you know, I had art throughout um, elementary school. I took art throughout high school as electives. um, So I did that. So um, in high school, I um, had these jobs where I just uh, sort of sat there and waited for people to come and buy stuff from me. It was very boring. Um, Sometimes I fell asleep and people would have to knock on the little window to wake me up. But that was when I really started reading more regularly um, and seriously and also drawing. So that's where drawing came back into my life in a big way. That's the uh, I use that time to do that. So I was drawing um you know, anything I could, anything I could think of. So I was drawing from pictures. I was drawing from observation, but I was also drawing from imagination. And I think that's when I maybe, you know, a little kernel of insight um, was planted in me that maybe this was something I was really um, interested in more seriously. Yeah. I'm curious then, is it just, just that idea of like being able to, I don't know, explore just, I guess this inner world, if you will, you know, I mean, I, again, I'm, always trying to solve that mystery uh, for myself, right? You know, why do I do this? Right. I absolutely agree. I think it's, um, I think that's a huge part of the drawing process. That's what drawing is. It's sort of like your thoughts on paper, right? And that's how I explain it to my students. So 
um, in, in a drawing class, for example, I say, you know, show me those extra marks in a, for, just, for example, a gesture drawing, because you're showing me not only your first thoughts, but your second and third thoughts when you're um, editing something. So in that way, and in many other ways, it is sort of an exploration of your mind um, and your thought process is put onto paper. So I definitely agree with that. And so were your parents like, uh, I guess, enthusiastic when you were, you decided I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do this for a living. I'm going to be an artist. Or is that something <laughs> that came about a different way? I, I know that it happens different for everyone, but did you kind of know it and kind of say like, this is what I want to do? <laughs> um, I think my parents put a big smile on their face and, um, said, go for it. I, I they always wanted me to be happy. They were always very supportive of me. I didn't go to college with that in mind. I actually was undecided my first semester, um, and then I took a painting class and immediately majored. Um, the only thing that my, I remember my dad saying is, all we want to make sure that you do is that you are happy and that you can support yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, you know, they were very encouraging, though, in a lot of ways. So I do really appreciate that, and I'm grateful for, for that um, from them. Well, and just because I realized we, we kind of missed it, too, um, where where are you from? And then I guess where did you go to school? I, I, I think that we glossed over that uh, little factoid, which is always interesting, too. Yeah, sorry. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, originally. And I went to, for undergrad, I got a BFA um, in painting at Truman State University, which is located in northeast Missouri. And then I got a um, MFA, an MFA in painting also from uh, Illinois State University. I guess in terms of uh, uh, starting that initial, um, you know, official art kind of education experience, I mean, did you ha- do you have any, I guess, takeaways from that? I mean, were you kind of in a in a different world that you didn't, I guess, I don't know, you're around all sorts of people that want to collaborate and make uh, houses, if you will? <laughs> No, um, no, it was mostly just that friend, but I did have a lot of, um, let's say creative friends in high school. They were mostly writers actually, or musicians. So musicians and writers I was surrounded by. Um, so I think there was a lot of creativity floating around me, you know, to get me started on that. I was also, I, I took piano lessons for nine years. So that was a, a different sort of form of, or a different language I was learning at the time that I think, um, had something to do with, uh, you know, me thinking about art in general, visual art later on. So is there any particular like experience in painting or something that, that kind of made you decide, like, I, I want to keep doing painting. I want to be a painting major. Well, I think it was partly because painting was the first class that I took, but there was something to that. I was interested in it. Um, I had been. And so once I took that, I just uh, sort of knew that that's what I wanted to continue in. But I majored, you know, I majored in studio art with an emphasis in painting. So at a liberal arts school, we did, and I'm sure a lot of BFAs have to take um, several different types of studio classes, I think, just to, you know, get some more experiences, make sure that's what you want to do, and um, maybe gather ideas throughout those different studio classes. I actually took a lot of printmaking Um, I think four semesters of printmaking, partly because I had a great teacher um, in undergrad, Jim Jarab, who was quirky but um, very meticulous, which were both traits I appreciated. And so, uh, I I don't know, he made printmaking uh, really exciting for me. And um, he mentioned that um, I approached printmaking with a painter's perspective, which was interesting. So the way that maybe I was layering work and things like that. So I think he um, sort of saw the painter in me, even though I was working in printmaking. Um, but yeah, I was, I was pretty sure after that. 
that painting was where it's at, it was at for me. It's an interesting kind of relationship because, you know, I think of painting as being so, you know, kind of immediate and printmaking as being as that like, you know, kind of really planned out, methodical, slow. <laughs> so that that's kind of an interesting kind of, um, I don't know, relationship there um, just to think about in terms of the way it's different, you know, these different mediums and I don't know, just the way that you kind of process and, and work through them. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that, you know, I, I might... I might relate that to my work, especially right now, which feels very much um, like a, a sort of mediated process because of the collage work that I do, because of um, the different techniques that I have that take time just to simply make before I even get to painting. So I think I, I just, that's the way I work. And so maybe you're right. Maybe printmaking was a good fit for me there. Um, maybe I picked up some of that sort of meticulousness. <laughs> And were you were you interested in abstraction at the time, or were you still kind of exploring other things, or what what did the work look like? It, it was definitely um, abstract work, I'd call it. I think I didn't really know what I was doing up until the last semester, um, or you know, the last year I was there. I was a super senior. I had studied abroad in France the semester before, and um, you know, I'd been so for a semester. I I did art. I actually painted um, Mont Saint Victoire, which Cezanne painted daily. So I did that uh, on a daily basis. It was sort of like a um, you know a plein air painting school, painting and drawing. So a lot of observation, and that was a really great experience for me. Um, and so I ended up you know walking through the city a lot. It was uh, Aix en Provence is where I stayed in southern France. And there was this um, old Roman center in the center of the city. And um, I would spend my days after class, you know, walking around that center um, to cafes and drawing strangers and um, things like that. So working in my sketchbook. But it was those walls that sort of left a big imprint on me, I think. Um, I guess walking around in sort of sort of like a maze like place was something a kind of space that I had never really encountered before. The walls that were, um, you know, they were from old Roman times, which was astounding to me that I could be surrounded um, by such history. And so I think that had a big impact on me. And so looking at the traces of those walls of human presence, you know, up to the present day, but um, moving back into history. So when I came back, I was making really abstract work. I decided to do my thesis show um, on or by making these really large walls. So I thought it was kind of humorous to make walls that you then hang on walls Mm -hmm. as something that sort of you take you have to take notice of that you walk by every day that structures your environment surrounds you but that you don't really notice so I sort of um, found a little bit of humor in that but then I was also just trying to create um, you know a sense of a, a sense of human presence and history that could be felt through these walls so I was also using um uh, let's see, construction materials and everyday materials like cement, plaster, found objects, things that people were, could identify with and were familiar with, but putting them in a um, sort of unfamiliar environment or unfamiliar, um, putting them together in an unfamiliar way, um, so on the wall. <laughs> um, so th- that's sort of what I was doing um, I guess that was my thesis show. So um, I think I made five paintings. One of them was a six by seven foot cement painting that my parents own now. And when they built their new house, it was so heavy that they had to construct a special wall just to um, hang it. Um, But I had a really good time making that work. And I think I finally um, felt like I knew where I was going or or knew what I was doing. And I felt like I had a a good focus um, during my thesis show. 
and I guess just because I haven't asked either, are there any particular artists maybe that were kind of early influences or maybe around this time people that you were, you know, really obsessed with uh, looking at? Um, you know, I have to say I'm really bad at names um, and, and just recalling and listing names. But I will say um, that I can recall Anthony Tapies from the Arte Povera movement. Um, he was probably my infatuation for most of the time. So, you know, I would go up on the third floor in the library and just peruse art books because I really hadn't been exposed to them. I, you know, I grew up in Nebraska. Um, there wasn't really that art around. We did have one um, museum there, but I didn't necessarily go a whole lot. So that was sort of what I did in my free time during undergrad. So Anthony Tapies was a huge find for me. And, you know, he's, if you don't know him, um, if you're familiar with uh, Alberto Burry, he's a similar type of uh, worker. He was a Catalan, Anthony Tapies was a Catalan artist. He worked with a lot of um, very physical materials like marble dust, um, found objects, and he um, imbued his work with this human presence that um, when I saw his works finally in Barcelona at, a, at the Antony Tapies Museum, um, I was just floored by the presence that they held, um, the set, that sense of history that they held. Um, so I think I was trying to... I was after what he um, was was trying to do, I think. So definitely Tapies was a big guy for me. And he's still probably in my top 10, I would say, just by the way that he worked. So, And I guess moving forward, um, how, how did you wind up uh, coming to graduate school? Was it a, a straight path or... <laughs> um, <laughs> it always very, is, right? <laughs> very nonlinear path as, as usual. Um, I knew. I think I always knew that I was going to go to grad school, but I was going to wait for the right moment that I, I felt I was ready for it. After I graduated from undergrad, um, I was a commercial painter for seven months, got really bored with that. And my now husband and I, boyfriend at the time, moved to Europe together uh, to Prague. Um, and we actually ended up moving um, to a couple other places. We moved to Costa Rica after that um, in Central America. Um, and then to New Mexico, which to me is the closest you can get to a foreign country within the United States. So I spent several years, we'll say, living abroad. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is um, that had a huge effect on me um, and a, a huge effect on my work. Um, it was uh, game changing. It, it completely changed my perspective in a way. We moved to Prague, Czech Republic um, shortly after September 11th. I think we actually moved on Halloween. And so um, going over there at that time, uh, for the first time, you know, I had visited London before that, but um, shortly when I was a child, I mean, I never really um, talked to other people outside of the United States about their thoughts about the United States. Um, and obviously at that time, there was a lot of um, criticism of our country. And so I never really heard that. So um, seeing that perspective um, was, I think, huge for me in just understanding how perspective works um, in different ways um, and for different people. I was going to say, I would imagine it would make you just kind of reevaluate everything, you know, and, you know, but kind of everything, right? <laughs> There's this, um, you know, beautiful thing called uncertainty that I had to deal with when going over there. And I'm not good with uncertainty always, um, but I learned to live with it because that was sort of the state of affairs when, you, when you're doing that. You don't know the language. You don't know the people or the culture. You don't know where you're going to live. You don't necessarily know what your job is going to be like. So that uncertainty um, sort of became 
um, instead of this scary thing, which it, it definitely was, but it also became this really exciting thing that you could embrace or that I embraced going over there. So I think that idea of uncertainty um, sort of held strong and that sort of continues to um, be a, a part of my work as well. Well, and were you kind of influenced outright by like just things that you experienced, um, places that you kind of visited as a, I guess, an American, you know, just kind of exploring? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this The architectural space was completely different than um, most things I had ever experienced before. So if you go to the old town in Prague, there's these, you know, tight, again, kind of like, um, I guess, Aix-en-Provence, but um, these tight city centers with very colorful buildings um, that had been built. You know, there was a church I remember being built in uh, 900, um, St. George. And so the way, you know, there's a lot of Gothic architecture. So the way that people lived um, and the architectural surroundings that they created for themselves or that they were living in from from many, many, many years past um, was a really interesting thing for me. That sense of history um, in the building that you're in or that you're sleeping in, for example, even. Yeah, I mean, again, um, just kind of living and kind of growing up in the suburbs, I kind of... You know, I'm used to kind of plastic. So any any time that I travel to a place that has history, it just becomes interesting. Just all the little things that you kind of see and kind of get affected by. Yeah, yeah. And so I think we spent a lot of our time, you know, just going down to the city center and getting lost on purpose um, and sort of experiencing that wonder that comes along with being lost in a in a new place, for example. Um, so we ended up walking a lot, but also getting out, um, not only outside the city, but out into, you know, into the country. So hiking, doing a lot of hiking, but also traveling to other places. And that was also when I was able to start really visiting new museums and seeing artwork in person. And so um, that was also a, another reason why it was a big experience for me, I think. Were you able to make any artwork at the time or was it something that you kind of had to like keep on the back burner until you kind of felt that urge to like, Oh my gosh, I got to get back into this. And I always had a studio practice. So, um, in this case in Prague, we had a loft apartment, um, where, you know, there was a, it's a little living room and then a little space maybe where somebody's dining room might go. Um, and then the bed, there was a bed up a ladder above that. And so below that bed, I, that was where my studio was. So it was sort of right in the living room and that's kind of how it went, um, everywhere I was for a long time. But, um, I made it work and I always made work. And so I was very happy about that. I, I don't know if I was extremely happy with the work I made, but I think, um, there was some kernels of, of insight in some of that work that I carried through to, um, maybe more serious work that I made after that. Yeah. I, well, and again, I'm of course a big fan of this, just idea of just who knows, you know, something that you maybe kind of hold on to and, and it somehow kind of finds a way into your work or, you know, feeds back in some way. So it's always kind of interesting, those kind of big life challenges or, or experiences more to the point, I guess. Right. Absolutely. It's, it, it would be interesting. I mean, it would probably take a lifetime to try to unravel that, that string too, and see where all of those things come from. And they're ongoing too, right? They keep, you keep adding to them as you go. Um, what gets sort of internalized um, into your practice. Well, and everything always moves, right? Your goal always kind of changes. So you always have to kind of be compelled to make, right? And and I guess, so what brought you back eventually to, to graduate school then, um, since you, since you get, especially at this time to kind of explore? Um, let's see. Well, 
uh, after Czech Republic, we moved to Costa Rica for a year and a year and a half. And then after that, we moved to New Mexico for five years. Um, we were living in a small town out in the middle of nowhere called Chimayo. Um, it's in the north central part of New Mexico, just about an hour north of Santa Fe. And we were on the edge. We lived in a little old adobe house on the edge of BLM um, or public land, essentially. Um, so we were sort of our backyard was, you know, it was an old West movie. It was all of those beautiful rock formations that you you imagine and envision. Um, that's where I lived. And so there was a good reason why we stayed for a long time. Um, I had a studio there that I really appreciated. It was actually an old bed and breakfast. It was a house turned into a bed and breakfast. And so it had two little hotel room, basically uh, hotel rooms. And my studio was eventually in one and we lived on the other side. And then we had this big open porch where we did most of our living actually. Anyway, my studio was um, very isolated, though. So I was in the middle of nowhere, especially during the summers. Um, that's all I did was work in my studio, and I rarely talked to anybody. I had a landlady next door to me and her chow. Um, there was a neighbor's pit bull I talked to um, when he came to visit, and there was a couple of birds that nested every year on our porch. So that was sort of um, who I kept company with. I did have a group of artist friends um, you know, in and around the Santa Fe area, um, and we did talk about art, but maybe more intermittently than I had wanted to. So finally, I got to my work had gotten to a point where um, I saw the potential of it. I was happy where it was going, but I realized that I needed some critical feedback. I needed some people again. So I needed to get out of the isolation I was in. And so that's when I decided to um, apply for grad school. Changing geographic regions, is that something also that kind of uh, feeds into the process a little bit too? Move into wonderful, normal Illinois, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, it's sort of like circling back to the Midwest in a way, right? From Omaha. Right. And here I am back in the Midwest. So that's been kind of an interesting experience. But absolutely, the, the changing conceptions of space have um, uh, have been a big part of, of how I think about space and how I, how I um, conceptualize space in my work, for example. So all of those things come into it for sure. Have you always been... Um... I guess using the the types of materials that you use now in terms of like paper and acrylic paint, or was it kind of like a, I don't know, something where you were able to kind of explore a variety of different materials, uh, especially considering the background of, you know, making these wall pieces with concrete and, mm -hmm. you know, all these different materials, or, or does it kind of just depend on, on I guess, the work and, and where you're at uh, at any given time? Um, well, that's funny. I... Um... So at that time that I was working with all those construction materials, um, I was also working with oil paint. So actually the first layer on those um, paintings, and I used that in an effort to help the paintings break down more over time. So I actually wanted them to transform over time, and um, putting oil paint as an underlayer was a way to do that. They're still all intact, unfortunately, but it <laughs> you know, hasn't been that long yet. Anyway, um, so oil paint was actually my go-to for... Uh, you know, the first 10 years of my career, I think I was working in um, lots and lots and lots of very thin matte layers of oil paint um, before I came to grad school. So really building up a surface, but still it um, being fairly thin, not too textural, a little bit after you get to, you know, the 40th layer or something. But when I came to grad school, I made a big switch and I moved to acrylic paint. So I had been working on a, you know, a side project in acrylic. Um, I saw the um, benefits of it and I wanted to try it out because partly I'm a slow worker. Um, 
I saw acrylic as a way to sort of speed up my process. Um, and so I delved into that right away when I came to grad school and worked with that. Um, I also got into sculpture um, and with mixed media and some installation work. So um, I was really trying to do a lot of exploring my first year of grad school. Um, so I, I covered a lot of different areas. I learned casting. I started to pour paint and actually I started doing that to my sculpture. So I would pour paint on, on, on my sculptures in different ways. And I think that's where um, my current practice came out of perhaps because I brought all, I brought some of those ideas from the more 3d work in, back into the two dimensional work when I um, came back to painting. And so I would um, do these paint pours off the panels and peel them up and cut them up. And then they became um, collage elements for my work. And then paper was um, for me just an obvious addition to that because it created a different type of, you know, sheen and effect than the um, paint pores had. So um, paint pores in acrylic, uh, in acrylic, and then um, paper have been pretty much my, I've been working with those for several years now. And then the, um, you know, random found object that um, I think adds a little humor to my work when I think my work comes off as fairly serious. I always like to think about that, that other side of it, that um, it can be a little more lighthearted than it seems maybe. I guess I'm curious too then. So are you also painting back into these images or using any other kind of materials or is it mostly then just these kind of like poured acrylic uh, paint and then it's kind of like cut apart and then collaged and, and worked back on the surface or... Yeah, I can talk about that. So I would say, um, it, you know, it's hard to maybe um, describe my process just um, in the sense that I use a lot of the same processes, but not necessarily in the same order for every painting. Mm -hmm. For example, I might start out with a um, set of colors that I want to work with and, uh, you know, a basic idea of, of what kind of work I want to do. Or it might be that I start out with um, some collage elements that I'm interested in using together. Or it might be a thumbnail sketch that I have um, I made and I want to um, put into action. So any one of those points might start me out with a new painting. And so once I get started, then I have, you know, these collage elements that I sort of um, do different arrangements with. I actually use an old digital camera um, that I have to take lots of sort of in-process in photos of these different um, arrangements that I make to sort of see where I'm progressing and go back if I need to. Some of those images actually get used um, later, much later in different paintings, so it's nice to have that record. Um, but I use that uh, as a way to sort of move forward with this and keep track of what I'm doing. Once I'm sort of, once I get a better sense of a basic idea of the painting, then I'll go about making, for example, um, more collage elements. So I'll decide on, in, in this case, in this recent series, I've been using sort of a basic shape um, that I cut out of paper. And then from that cutout, a family, a sort of family of shapes has been made through the negative space of it, or I'll make smaller ones, um, or I'll change them slightly. And so I end up with this new family of shapes um, to work with, and then I start arranging those. So it's a really long um, mediated process, I would say. The last thing that, one of the last things that happens probably is the background layer um, that I don't conceive of until I've really figured out more where I want these um, collage elements to go. So it's a very, again, a very nonlinear process that um, I go back and forth with. 
um, and may not finish until even after I think I'm finished, I'll, I'll come across, you know, another collage element that I find. And I um, realize that that needs to go on this painting and that's something that was missing from it. So, so a lot of, uh, collaging those shapes that I make, what I'll do is, um, once I've decided on a shape, I'll measure it out on um, large sheets of paper and then I'll paint that paper and then cut that up before I go to use them for um, making new arrangements. So that's maybe one way that my process works. Um, sometimes it's just happenstance and I end up, I have a, you know, a painting that is in mid process that I've been stuck on forever. And all of a sudden this collage element that I'm working with on another painting, I just, you know, take it and move it over to this painting and go, Oh my gosh, that's what it's been waiting for this whole time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'll finish that painting and I'll be stuck on the other one, for example. So, um, I hope that, um, you know, clarifies somewhat of how I well, artists love talking about this, right? It's always an interesting uh, thing to find out how people work and, and what they're doing. Are, are you working on a, a bunch of different images at the same time? or? Um, I, I, I am and, I, and I'm not. Uh, I think I don't work on necessarily a bunch. I'll, I'll get stuck and I'll get tunnel vision on one of them and keep working with that because I'll, um, you know, be really present in my mind and I'll really know what I want to do with it for a while or be, or I'll really be struggling to, um, solve some issues with it, for example. But at the same time, there might be a couple, two or three other paintings that I've been working on that, you know, maybe one is stuck and one I need to make something for, but I'm holding off for this one. So yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of, of back and forth between different paintings and they do talk to each other when I'm making them. So um, but there also is times where I'm just working on one painting as well. But I, I think it's also really kind of just interesting to, to think about the way that that process might evolve um, or include like different processes in order to make that up, which is, I don't know, something that's interesting. Cause you know, like I think sometimes artists kind of get really, you know, set up in a certain way. So to, to kind of hear you talk about, you know, working from drawings or, you know, um, different collage elements or just kind of having different ways to generate these is really kind of interesting. Are there, are there any, I guess, particular things that you, I guess, never would have uh, thought you'd be doing, I guess, that, that kind of helps? or? Um, I think I, that's a good question. I think I'm always looking for ways to, um, you know, jolt myself out of my regular thinking. I think habit, you know, habit is, habit is very habit forming mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in the sense that, uh, you get used to doing something. And so you have to, um, in order to make something new or different or think about it differently, you sort of have to make yourself think differently. And so looking for ways to do that is, um, an exciting part of the process, I think. Um, so, you know, even if it's listening to different music that, that makes that happen for you that day, that's, um, something that can be helpful to, to your process. Um, and I'm curious, especially like in the in the newest ones, um, you know, you've talked a little bit about just all the all the negative space that's going on in there. Is there anything that you kind of like work from? I, I know that, you know, you talked about having experiences working from observation. I mean, is it something where you're will literally draw out shapes and then those kind of become amplified in a different way or, you know, they kind of um, just kind of get carried over so much that they turn into their own thing? Yeah. So, for example, the shapes that I um, have been using... Um, I have used, you know, variations of this shape in the past and I, um, I like it for that reason, but 
I'm thinking of one particular painting, I guess, when I say that. But um, I'm using particular shapes, uh, especially if I make them over and over again into uh, in a regular pattern. I'm I'm using them because of their characteristics of what they can do for space. So, you know, it'll have an aspect of positive. So it'll be, you know, convex in one area. It'll be concave in one area. It might have a curve in another, and it might be very angular in another area. So I'm looking for shapes that do a lot of different things. Um, So when they get put together and then they react to a space, they're activating that space as well. So they're able to um, make that space a positive area, for example. And what's interesting, too, to me is that there's kind of these areas that look kind of like they're ghosted or kind of like hazy or kind of, you know, they look like they're further back a little bit. And so I start wondering about how all these kind of layers interact or, you know, how present they are. Could you talk a little bit about that? I'm still thinking about layers, but in a um, in a slightly different way. In this case, they don't necessarily get built up on top of each other, kind of like um, if I can make a geological reference like sedimentation, Mm -hmm. these are sort of happening in a, in a even more nonlinear way where, you know, the decisions that get made are made at different times, for example, or things are that are, for example, glued on top in one area of something are glued underneath it in another area. So um, it starts to confuse the space um, and the time and the process or, or the, the time of the, of the process when you're thinking about it, when you're viewing it. I think, um, I think that's a really important part about this work, um, the way that you move in and out of this space too. So for example, I'll shift colors or lines on a certain shape so that parts of it will merge with the background and parts of it will interrupt the background or shift, you know, become a shift from a connection that was part of the background. So um, what happens is that you're you sort of move in and out of this space in different ways. So it's, it's pulling you forward um, and it's pushing you back in um, as you move around it. And this might be a strange question, but is there like a particular orientation that you tend to work on one of these paintings or are you always kind of flipping it around and looking at it in different different ways and trying to get new angles on it, if you will? Um, that's a good question. I think with the camera, I do that a lot. I make sure that um, the way that I'm working is the most beneficial way mm-hmm. um, that the painting is working. So I'm open to switching it around if it makes sense. Um, and I'll keep my eye on it as I work by, you know, taking a picture sideways and um, things like that, or just looking at the camera upside down, for example. And sometimes I find surprising things that way. So yeah, but I also work with it. A lot of times I work with it because I'm gluing things down. I work with it on the table. So I'm working from all sides of it as well or on the floor. Um, So I think that I get to see those different viewpoints at the same time of, of how it's coming about. And so I can make those decisions as I go. If we're talking about the most current work, I don't know, some interesting things going on in terms of the color schemes where there might be kind of like a intense color and maybe kind of grayscale um, or other variations, some complementary. Is there any, I guess, particular way that you work through the, the color aspect of the work? I think it's really hard for me to talk about color specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I uh, sometimes I come up with sets of colors by doing some experimentation. Sometimes I find colors through those collage elements that I have in stock, for example, and I get an idea and I work from that. Sometimes I just like how the colors chime together or resonate with each other. Um, they create, um, or I can see how they might create a certain mood or psychological effect 
for example, with the, I think we're probably talking about the same one. It's called Leeds. It's, it has sort of a grayscale and then um, some off-white and some yellow, some bright yellow. And so I guess I, I think I chose those colors partly because um, I was trying to, in this painting, I was trying to pare down the color in a certain sense um, to see what I could take out of it. And yellow was an obvious color for me in this case because um, it shared a similar value as the light, and I didn't want it to overpower um, anything. So I liked how that worked with with the white space that I was using in that, I guess. But mostly I would say the color, and the, uh, the color that I use, I use for... Um, its ability to do things to activate or in- activate a space for me. So, um, if I have this really dark area that I um, repeat throughout, that's sort of setting up one kind of pattern. Um, maybe the white space in the shapes starts to merge with the white space that I usually have somewhere in my background. So it um, starts to play with that space. So I'm really using it to to do what I want it to do, rather than calling it something. Um, I guess that makes sense. And I'm curious, are there like any particular rules or kind of guidelines that you set up? Do you kind of tend to work in series or is it kind of more like you said before, maybe sometimes like piece by piece? I'm just kind of curious because again, you know, trying to keep things fresh and and keep yourself open is such a struggle. So, you know, I'm always thinking about that and, you know, how that's important. How how else have you kind of uh, explored the idea of kind of like changing about? I mean, is it something where like for each time that you kind of go and set out a new painting, there there are new rules or um, I don't know. How, how is that, in, in, I guess, you know, in the paintings that you're doing like right now? I do keep rules and guidelines, but I don't think I keep them um, in language. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think they I think they exist for me um, through the way that I work and I can see those processes after a while. But uh, so they're happening without necessarily me calling them by name. Um, you mentioned series, you know, whether I work in series or not, I, I find series, um, the idea of series very troubling for me because I, there's always this work that never fits in neatly to a body of work. Um, that has something to do with my, the conceptual, uh, way I think about my work as well. Um, this idea of impossibility of, uh, or, or troublesome categories, trying to fit everything neatly into a box, right? So the idea of um, black and white, this is this, that is that. And so um, I end up with these paintings that don't fit anywhere. Um, so I've been struggling with that. So yeah, I do come to paintings more individually. At the same time, I'm also trying to look at the big picture, though. Um, so for example, this past body of work, um, I think where those came out of was um, a, maybe a small part of, uh, even if I can call it one painting that I did for um, my grad school thesis show, there was one um, painting where I had or this really intricate area of pattern. And um, if I can look back, I might even say there's like the source of where the, these paintings um, evolved from based on their sort of busyness and their um, attention to pattern or use of irregular pattern, I guess. So, you know how when you're think when you're making work, you probably can identify with this. You see something going on in a painting and you're, you say, I'm going to come back to that. Right. So that's maybe what I did in this last series of works. Um, and then for the newest paintings that I've made, um, after this series, we'll call it, uh, I think what's happening or what's evolving is this sense, this sense of randomness. So I'm trying to get something that feels a little more random and getting that, trying to, you know, force that to work with a situation, let's say, and the situation being, um, the painting that I have in front of me that has something on it probably. So I would say I'm, 
very much a responsive artist. I'm, re- I'm reacting to colors. I'm reacting to um, collage elements. I'm reacting to um, new things that I try to add in. So I'm always looking for, I'm always looking for something that surprises me and um, puts me in a state of wonder. You know, there's this article I read. Oh, it's called On the Necessity of Wonder. Um, it's by Silke Detmers, who is an artist, a visual artist working in London. And she talks in her studio practice about the idea of wonder as method. Um, and I thought that was really poetic and beautiful, and it made a lot of sense for probably a lot of people's um, practice, but definitely my own, um, thinking about the idea of wonder as both method and goal. So, so using that to move forward or evolve um, in your work. Is that, is that how you know kind of like when you're finished with with a piece, when you have that kind of like sense of wonder about it in terms of it, maybe it looks fresh or new or, you know, there's just something going on about it. How does that like editing work where you get to the point where you're like, yeah, this is, this is where it's at. <laughs> That's always the toughest question. Yeah. I, um, you know, I never quite know. And, and like I said before, it might be that um, later on, I realized that I find a piece that needs to be in a painting that I thought was finished. And so it just gains one more ounce of complexity that I, I realized that I, uh, that it needed. You know, I don't think I, I think the way that I work, I see a million different versions of paintings that and some of them work and, and they never get realized. So um, it's hard to say when I know exactly. I think I pass up a lot of, through trial and error, I pass up a lot of maybe what might be interesting finished works. So um, for whatever reason, the ones I arrive at are the ones I feel um, are doing the, the thing that I want them to do, which is sit somewhere um, between being resolved and in unresolved. They are activating my attention, even though I've been staring at them forever. Um, so if they're able to engage me after all that looking, um, I think that's a big sign for me. Yeah, and something I can get excited about. So I think that goes back to that idea of wonder. Well, and I think also it makes me wonder, oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> artists, for the most part, it seems like a lot of times will kind of make stuff for themselves. You know, is there kind of like a a, a response or something that you want to elicit in terms of like when somebody sees these? Are you kind of interested in that that again, maybe a sense of wonderment or that, that formal kind of quality or, you know, something that you can't kind of put your finger on, but what, what is that quality that you, um, I don't know, are, are interested in kind of getting out there is if there's a way to describe it or, you know, a way for someone to receive it. Maybe I can talk about it as a, um, a type of playful curiosity. So if I can sort of pull viewers in, um, and make them stay <laughs> and, um, you know, allow their their senses and their perceptions to sort of open up and um, hold, you know, hold their um, gaze long enough, hold their attention long enough um, to be able to maybe start thinking about implications of, of what they're looking at. So, but if they stop at a playful curiosity where their their um, vision is actively engaged and they're moving about the work and they. Um, they find that they can't really settle in one place, for example. That's perfectly okay with me. I think there's different levels at which you can experience a work, and um, I um, applaud all of those, you know, all those different levels. There are implications that I think about. I don't necessarily think painting is going to change the world, but there is something to making people or, or allowing people um, or giving them the opportunity to um, 
spend some time looking at something um, and using their attention to look at this very old technological object, right, that is made by hand, that is um, not a computer image, it's not digital, um, but has some effects of digital images, maybe through the blend rolls and things. So there's some things that they can identify through that, but um, make them spend time with a, a work and therefore make them spend time with themselves. And I think that opens up uh, perhaps an awareness of your own perception. And that's um, ultimately where I'd like people to eventually get back to if I can, if I can say that that's possible. Um, that idea of, uh, you know, I'm looking into the idea of attention and distraction and how that works in today's society based on um, all of the things that we are inundated with and all of the things we're supposed to be paying attention to and all of the different spaces that we're pulled into and out of the physical environment, the digital environment, your mental space, social spaces, social media realms. So all of those things, the idea for me is that if you look at these paintings, hopefully you're pulled back to your own attention and can start to look at all of those things and the way that your perception works, the way that your attention and your distraction works. Um, and then maybe relating that back to your own life in some way. Well, and it's such an interesting idea, especially nowadays, you know, I'm, I'm curious, um, what it's going to seem to be like an artist in a hundred years, uh, provided, provided the earth is still spinning, uh, yeah. you know, and everything's going the same way. Cause again, I think it's, it's just so interesting because, you know, when you, when at least I, I'm looking at them again, you kind of struck by, I don't know, just, uh, having to look, you know? And I think that's just something that, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's something I, I wish, you know, politicians in particular would talk about it more. Right. But, um, it's just an interesting idea because you're kind of you're kind of I think continually most people are kind of like more and more removed from that process and so to kind of be put in that process is something that's very interesting and I think just I guess in and of itself people kind of want you know something or they come up with something or you know there's some way that they kind of have to make it relate and, and that that becomes something that usually is pretty interesting. Yeah, for sure. And I, I also think that, you know, painting again, going back to the difference between painting and um, images, this isn't a new subject, but that idea that painting is sort of an embodied experience that you're using your entire sense senses and uh, your, or, your, sorry, you're using all of your sense organs um, in your body, you're moving around the work, your eyes and your head are moving. Um, it's not just your brain and your eyes that are doing all the thinking for you, but that it's um, activating all of those things through the physical texture of the work and things like that. So, um, yeah. Very cool. Remind us how long this, uh, this show is running. So the show is up till October 1st. Um, and it's in galleries one and two. And so if you're up in the no uh, Northwest suburbs, uh, stop by and take a look. Yeah, excellent. And are there any uh, other things coming up that you're particularly excited about? Any big shows or uh, exhibitions, anything like that? Um, I don't have a, a much going on right now, but I do have um, a show, a solo show planned at the Jan Brandt Gallery in 2016 in July. So I'll be um, working toward that and otherwise, you know, working in the studio and submitting applications for other work, other shows. Yeah, there's nothing like uh, having a nice deadline that's uh, a bit bit distant from now and you kind of get to just kind of think I can kind of just uh, I don't know take this in a new direction or, or kind of see where it goes and it's always interesting to see what what comes out of that so again I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, talking to me about the work and again it's been lovely 
Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate talking with you. It's been great. Thanks once again to Megan Cathal Bursett for joining me. You can check out her exhibition entitled Tug. It's up at McHenry County College through October 1st up in Crystal Lake, Illinois. So please go ahead and check that out. And, of course, her website is MeganCathalBursett.com. We do want to remind new listeners that there's plenty of other interviews and artists that have been featured on Studio Break, so please check them out. Again, you can go through the archive feature and check out all the artwork, listen to all the interviews, or you could follow the link through the iTunes store and subscribe to the podcast there. And again, we really appreciate any kind of support that people have in terms of making donations or just helping us get the word out. We also appreciate comments in the iTunes store. Again, there's millions of people listening to podcasts around the world, and you can help us by getting them to listen to this one, by leaving some comments and helping us out there. So please consider that. Of course, we are in a variety of different social media formats, so please like our Facebook page. Again, we provide new podcast updates there as well as exhibition announcements and opportunities. You can also follow our Tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr. And then, of course, send us your tweets at Studio Break. Again, we love seeing new artwork as well as interesting shows and all sorts of stuff, so please send us stuff there as well. I want to thank Skylar Mail for providing the Studio Break soundtrack. Once again, he is a musician, a visual artist, a performance artist, and you can find his work at SkylarMail.com. And, of course, if you want to check out my artwork, you can see it at DavidLinaway.com. Again, there's new paintings up there and plenty of things to look at, so please go ahead and check it out. And also, you can send tweets to me at DavidLinaway, so please feel free to do that. And that is our show for the week. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.